processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. Hey, everybody. Ryan Ripley here. Just wanted to share a few things before the show got started. Uh, first of all, just thank you for all the support. Seeing a lot of upticks in people joining our mailing list, which is available at ryanripley.com. Seeing a lot of uh, iTunes reviews and five stars being added to the show. So thank you for that. I uh, really appreciate all the people who have signed up on Patreon so far. We're going to start promoting them soon. And just the sharing. I can see the the download numbers and the traffic to the site going up, and that means you're sharing the show, and that helps us get new guests and and do more things with the show. And so I just really appreciate all that. Please continue doing it. If you want to know how to support the show, it's in the show notes on ryanripley.com. also wanted to let you know, coming up February 2nd, Joe Krebs and I will be doing the Professional Agile Leadership course in Miami. And so this is going to be a really interesting course for those of you that want to learn about leadership uh, in an Agile context and really excited to present this course from uh, scrum.org. So if you want to check it out, more information is available at agilemiami.org. Uh, but other than that, let's get to the show. Jesse Sterenshus is the guest. Uh, a lot of fun, does a lot of improv stuff, and uh, she's just overall just one of the great people in our community. So let's uh, let's get the show started, and uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks for being there, and I uh, hope you get a lot out of this one. Welcome to this week's episode of Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining me today is Jesse Sterenshus. Jesse, uh, it's great to have you back. Last time, you had a lot of fun with Amitai and I playing some improv games. Today, it's a one-on-one conversation. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, thanks for coming back. Oh, my gosh. My pleasure. I'm excited to chat with you. So I think last time we saw each other was Orlando, right? Yes, we, we the, did. We were at Agile Dev East, the, the TechWell event, where Jesse, uh, I think you had a captive audience uh, for a, a really excellent keynote. Uh, probably six, seven, eight hundred people that you had doing just ridiculous things all throughout, but uh, I think everyone loved it. Really good feedback. Nice. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, there's nothing like getting people to do ridiculous things and being in control of the ridiculousness, I always say. It's, it's great. You know, that seems <laughs> it's like to be magic. That seems to be a theme now that I think about it. You got Amitai and I to, to embarrass ourselves on the podcast, you got Perfect. conference attendees to do. It's like we're just all in the palm of your hands, and it's your world, and we're just living in it, isn't it? Yes. You guessed it. Very good. Well, thanks for coming back. I think you have uh, a new idea to talk about, and I'm excited about this. I, uh, I like it when we get to try out some new ideas before they go mainstream. So what is going on with you? I've been really fascinated by the concept of unlearning, and... The concept kind of came through a lot of the work that I've been doing over the past few years with larger organizations. And what I was noticing is when an organization was making a transformation, whether it was an agile transformation, an organizational transformation, digital, some sort of transformation, um, there was a lot of pushback. And um, typically I would be working with leaders or management on the director level And some of them were having the hardest time and were not able to sort of move into having the agile mindset or business agility, or um, they were having a hard time 
doing something new that was like a digital platform for their company. And the issue most of the time was the fact that they were having trouble unlearning and letting go of the things they had been doing for 10, 15, 20 years, right, that had been working. And so a lot of that that learning was getting in the way of doing something new. And it was kind of fascinating to explore. So is this kind of running into the, well, this is how we've always done it mentality? Is that part of it? Yeah, I think, I think it's, we've done it, you know, this way all along and it's never, you know, hurt us. We've been a successful, we're a giant corporation and we're obviously doing something right. Um, I think, I think that's some of it. I think some is like, that idea of like holding on to what you know or how you identify yourself. And that could be on a personal level or on a team level or even on organizational level where they identify themselves with something and that something needs to adapt, but they won't let it, you know, and sometimes it's to their detriment. You know, you see companies crash because of that problem too. Yeah. I I think back to uh, my days as a director at a fairly large company. It's a Fortune 200 financial firm. Um, mm-hmm. And what I found was, and I fell into this trap too, but a lot of my peers would, would get into this into the cycle of, you know, we finally learned the game of the company. And mm-hmm. we, knew, we knew how to, to manipulate and play the systems. We knew that if we did certain things during a project, we could get away from the bad ones. We could take credit for the good ones. There's all these little things you can do to, to play the game, to, to maneuver your way to the annual mm-hmm. bonus to the next right. promotion. And then someone comes in and says, well, we're going to change the game completely. And I can just remember some peers, especially freaking out at that concept. Oh, yeah. And it's, oh, um, yeah. it's so abrupt and so scary. What are the things that you do uh, when you start working with these people who know the game of their company so well, uh, and then, and then basically shake it up? Like, how do you work with, with that in, within that constraint or within that scenario? So I think the first thing is kind of to uncover what's bothering them about it or help them uncover because um, a lot of times what I would uncover is this paralysis where they felt like they had to, you know, become quote unquote agile overnight, you know, like they put all this pressure on themselves to be that way tomorrow, like the next day. Um, And that in itself was paralyzing. So I think the first thing is to uncover what is stopping them, what's preventing them from being able to move forward. Sometimes it's like they don't understand the concept. So maybe somebody's come in and um, talked to them about, you know, being agile and what that means. And maybe they've done it with the software slant and they're in HR and they don't understand how it relates to them at all. So as soon as they feel like it doesn't relate to them, their brains just shut down. They're like, I don't get like half of the things this person is saying because it doesn't seem like they had us as their audience in mind. Um, so that is often what I uncover first. And then it's about um, giving them experiences to do something new by unlearning something first. So there's lots of kind of concepts that I've come up with to help them go through that unlearning. I think what's interesting is I think that companies, they want to be learning organizations, right? And 
the problem is you have to be an unlearning organization first and they skip that step. Well, I I think the fifth discipline is a very popular book. It talks about becoming a learning organization, but I think you're right. The missing chapter there is that whole, you know, that Yoda esque you must unlearn what you have learned kind of thing. And, and I, yeah. I think there is some some plate clearing, some some room that you have to open up in your mind, uh, or else these concepts just don't fit. Um, is there anything that you've found that has helped? You know this this middle management, this director level um, role, or these people uh, even understand what unlearning means? Because I'd imagine there's a lot of people sitting in their cars or or running or doing whatever they do while they listen to this podcast, going man, what does it mean? How do I unlearn stuff that I know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the first thing you're right is to understand what that means. And there's two types of unlearning. And one is where no habit is formed and one that's habitual, right? So for instance, if you're going to read a book um, or I'm going to read a book on rocket science, right? You can give me that book and I might have some knowledge. That's not going to be very hard for me to unlearn. It's going to be easy for me to do that and replace it. But if you tell me I have to unlearn how to ride a bike or put on my seatbelt, that's going to take a whole lot longer because I've been doing that so long that I've been creating a path in my brain you know, to do something in one way and that that actually has to change and that's really, really difficult because because it's habitual, it's become second nature in order to allow you to do other things. So you don't have to think about all the steps. That's where it gets really difficult. So it seems like in the, in the example of the rocket science book, I, you're better than me. I would have, I would fall asleep within 10 minutes of trying, but um, it's something that's not important to you. But with the bicycle as kids, especially when we all learn how to ride bikes, that's like the first step to freedom almost. That's that's how we get away. And, and so that becomes immensely important. Um, so yeah. it seems like it's it's to get this level or this role to to actually find importance, we have to show what's in it for them. That's exactly what I was going to say. So like, why should they care, right? Why should they care? And if there's no reason, like nobody's um, understands who they are, nobody has any empathy for them. Maybe leadership isn't considering what they're going through. That makes it really, really hard. I um, I created like a little acronym um, using the word shift to kind of help team leads and people that are requiring these changes to happen and what they can do, like the steps they can go through. Um, and one of them is what's in it for them, right? Like what's the value for them? Yeah, it also makes me think of uh, many conversations, both on the podcast and and off the air, that that uh, myself and others have had with Esther Derby, where mm-hmm. she she's she is the one of the the experts I turn to when I'm thinking about management's role on Agile, and and she's got this quote, and I and I hope she'll forgive me if I've butchered it, but it's something along the lines of uh, people are not resisting the change, they're resisting the coercion, mm. and it's one of those where. Um, it's the forced agile. It's where congratulations, yep. you've been a project manager for twenty years, and now you're a scrum master. Go, <laughs> go forth and be successful. And people are like, "What are you talking about?" They're like, "What? Exactly. <laughs> it's you didn't ask me if this is what I want to do. You didn't ask me if this is how I'm comfortable working. 
Uh, you didn't co-create anything with me. You didn't um, even include me in the decision. And now I have to be something different. And it seems like that's where a lot of the barriers to learning all of these new concepts come in because people check out. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen anything like that as well? Yeah. And so I think one thing that's important and one thing I'll do with uh, managers and leadership that are kind of forcing the change on people, trying to coerce them is do exercises around empathy. So one of the exercises, super simple, but it makes the point. And I have two people stand face to face, right? And then they they're drawing numbers in the air. So it's called space numbers. So if you and I were to play this game and I made you um, person number two in this game, I would be drawing the numbers in the air from one to 10, just like very slowly draw the one, right? And you should be mirroring me with your finger. Okay, but what happens is basically you're gonna struggle, right? Because when you're mirroring me, you're writing the numbers backwards. Right. And so it's going to like hurt your brain to try to (laughs) do it any other way. Right. And so it gets really frustrating. And then I have them flip. So you get both the chance to be the leader and the follower and feels and feel what it feels like to do something as simple as drawing a number and, and having to change that. Like that's such a simple thing. And even that is really hard to do. So I think things like that where you start with empathy and uncover what the issues are, having empathy for that, and then start the unlearning experiences before you then do something new. So the debriefing on that exercise just has to be, I mean, that that just has to be a series of light bulb moments for people. It is. And I mean, it goes back, you know, I like to do these kinds of exercises. And yes, like if somebody comes in and is like looking at the room and they're like, what on earth are these people doing? But the thing is, in three minutes, they get the concept of what it feels like. And so even though it's silly and they're laughing, they're able to be vulnerable and have fun and and then have those light bulb moments. Even with something as silly as that, it has a really great point to it. So I like to do stuff like that where they're like, you know, kinesthetically learning, like their body feels what it feels like to have to change. Yeah, that's an exercise I think I want to try with the other Agile coaches. And mm-hmm. just let's, because of that whole, that empathy exercise, I mean, certainly applies great when people are trying to unlearn and then learn uh, within a, an organization. But I find that um, at times we'll, we'll kind of wag our finger at people and say, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. And kind of get, um, we kind of lose that connection. And that feels like an exercise that could really help you get grounded back into the idea that, um, you know, these things are difficult. I really like that. I, I think there's wildly interesting applications of just that, that simple, uh, that simple idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really love it. And I like that it's that it's quick and it's simple. It makes the point. And there's other variations I've kind of come up with to go with it that, you know, I can share with you at some point, if you feel like when you're doing it with a group that they're responding to it in the way that you want, I can give you some twists on it too, that are kind of fun. Cool. Um, yeah. And there's another one. I don't know. Do you want to hear of another oh, exercise? Yeah. Okay. So there is a concept called escape thinking. Have you heard of that? I have not. So the concept is getting you to shift perspective, which is a big part of unlearning something, right? Like seeing something in a new way, making something that's familiar, unfamiliar, that sort of thing. So the concept is 
taking, let's say we're trying to come up with a new concept for a restaurant. Okay. So what we would do is we would get a whiteboard or some piece of paper in small groups. And on one side of the paper, we're going to write all the attributes for a restaurant. Okay. So a restaurant has servers, a restaurant has food, a restaurant has tables, a restaurant has menus, and we're just going to list as many attributes as we can. Then on the other side of the paper, we're going to write a restaurant does not have servers, a restaurant does not have food, a restaurant does not have a menu, a restaurant does not blah, 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 right? So writing the opposite and the does not. And then what we're doing is we're exploring each of those does not attributes. So what would a restaurant look like if it had no menu? What would a restaurant look like if it had no physical space? What would a restaurant look like if it had no servers? And all of a sudden what you're seeing is that something that we kind of take for granted, like, well, a restaurant always has to have a menu. A restaurant always has to have servers. Well, maybe it doesn't. We've just never questioned it. And so this is like a really great concept to kind of ease them into thinking of, okay, how can we unlearn this perspective we think is the only way to do something? Uh, And I like to start, I always like to start with something that's non-real world first, so there's no weird dynamics involved, and then go into the real world concept. So then you could do something like their product or a process that they're doing, and how could they improve upon it? Yeah, very cool exercise. You know, something uh, I've always wondered is, you have this arsenal of exercises and ways to embarrass Amitai and I and, and all these different things. I have um, a lot of those. Those are, yeah, well, it's not that <laughs> those hard. Those are my favorite, <laughs> actually. Yeah. <laughs> You're very good at those. Um, so sad he's not here, so I can't embarrass him. I know. Thanks. He's actually so, for the listeners out there who have, Amitai has not been on for a while, uh, he and his wife are overseas. So they're oh. actually in Germany visiting uh, his wife's family. They They brought their their son Tavi overseas to visit their newborn. And so Amitai is enjoying being a, a new dad and uh, uh, they're doing great. And I will get him back on the show soon. Once life settles, I think, you know, Jesse, you and I both know you bring a child into, into the family and it's uh, it's like a grenade on your whole life. So yeah. Talk about unlearning. You're exactly. like, wait a second. <laughs> What's nice though, is I, I think there's chemicals that get released in your brain where you forget life before kids. And that, oh, that yeah. helps a lot too. Yeah, and, and I think we have amnesia yeah. when we have the second kid or the third. <laughs> exactly. like, oh, what? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's how we have them, I think. I'm oh, yeah, sure. two years of not sleeping well. Forgot about that. <laughs> forgot about that. And then it whacks you in the face. Exactly. So Amitai is doing great. He's enjoying um, a nice little sabbatical with uh, with his wife and, and, and son, and, um, and he'll be back on soon. So... We'll have to get Jesse back in so that she can mess with us. And any very tired Amitai will probably be pretty entertaining, too. That sounds super fun. I can't wait for that. Just let me know. Uh, <laughs> definitely. But where I was going with that, uh, before I totally took us on a, on a tangent there, um, <clears throat> you have a lot of these exercises, and I know, I'm sure there's some listeners sitting out there going, well, where does she come up with these exercises? What's the inspiration? How, how can we kind of learn uh, to come up with some of these, too? Yeah, I think it's starting from the outcome that you're looking for, right? So what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And what? Um, who are the people that are your audience that you're trying to facilitate this concept with? And how do they learn best? So some people learn best when it's a visual thinking concept, right? Some people work best when they're up 
and physically learning something. Some people work best when they're alone and others in pairs and others in large groups. So I think it's first uncovering like having empathy for the group that you're working with and how to make them successful in learning that thing. And then doing the concept in a couple of different ways. So you kind of touch as many people and their learning styles as you can. That's a good way to start. And I think there's, you know, there's resources like I've got, I've got my book that has 50 games in there that can be adapted to so many different things. And a lot of times if you look at a framework you're already using and really think about what you're trying to do and unlearn the one way you think that it works, you might already have tons of frameworks that are perfect for teaching these concepts. It's just that you never thought about them in that way. So it's like, that's like meta <laughs> unlearning and exercises. I don't know. So No, that, that sounds great. And so the book is Control Shift. And so we'll get a link to that in the show notes and make sure that people uh, have access to that. It's, uh, it's mm -hmm. on my shelf. I turn to it uh, fairly often, especially when I'm working with people who um, are in the similar situation that you're talking about. Just they need to, to or they've asked to unlearn something by engaging with, with, uh, with agile consultants and by seeking to transform. And, and so we're trying to help them with that. And it's a, it's a great resource uh, to help with that. I, I also, I think you're also doing workshops with this concept as well, aren't you? Can you tell us a little bit more about the workshops and, and if people would like to have you come out and do those workshops, uh, what that looks like and, and how to get a hold of you and all that? Yeah, so the workshops are a deep dive into that experiential practice. So this concept, again, it can't happen overnight, right? You can't change overnight. So it does take practice. So having kind of that arsenal of tools is great. So the workshop will guide you through you know, game storming style, design thinking, improv, like all of these different concepts, you're going to be using them as you learn to unlearn. And you can plug in the things that you're trying to do at your company or with your team, what kind of transitions you're trying to make. And then my hope is you'll come out of those workshops, not only have having experienced those things and maybe coming up with new ideas, but also you now have this tool set that you've learned, you've watched being like facilitated, right? So you know how to run it potentially too after you go through this. So I think, I think it's a, it's really helpful to have those resources to try, to try the concepts. Oh, totally agree. Do you have any, any public offerings of this workshop plan for 2018 or is it all private at this point? That's what I was trying to think about. So right now, the majority of what I'm doing are inside of large companies and working with them. I think the first thing I can just think off the top of my head that's public is uh, I'm doing a keynote at Agile Australia in the summer in June, and I'll be doing the unlearning keynote and then followed by the workshops, the unlearning workshops. So that one is public, and I'm sure there will be others. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. I keep thinking of the companies that I'm working with to do this <laughs> inside, which I love doing because then you're working with a group of people who are all trying to accomplish uh, one thing together. They all kind of have, or they should all have a shared vision, right? And then I'll get to work with them. So I really enjoy that too. It's a, it's a different thing, obviously, than doing a public workshop. Yeah, that's really cool. And so <clears throat> if you're going to be at Agile Australia, um, totally recommend seeing, wake up, go to the keynote, um, 
Jesse's are always great. And then hit the workshops. The the ideas that you get from from just interacting. I think we were just walking um, at Agile Dev East. I think we walked across to uh, Disney Springs and did some shopping. And just the interactions. I mean, just great ideas just flow. And so anytime <laughs> you get you. to spend with Jesse, it's awesome. Um, these workshops, I'm sure, are going to be great. As you get more um, keynotes and public offerings of these workshops, we'll certainly get them out to the listeners because uh, I think these are a lot of fun. Uh, Jesse, is there anything else that you'd like to add? We've, um, we're almost hitting up against our 15, 20, 25-minute time box for these, uh, these one-on-ones, and I just want to make sure that you're able to get out uh, anything else that uh, you wanted to discuss. I don't think so. I mean, if people are interested in this concept and they want to discuss it more, kind of explore, they feel like this is something they hadn't considered but should, you know, they can get in touch with me through improveffect.com. I'm happy to talk to them uh, through email or a call or whatever and kind of discuss what they're trying to do. So I think hopefully that'll be a helpful way to be a resource for them. Yeah, that's great. And uh, as soon as Amitai's back in the country, we'll get him on and you can embarrass us again. Yes. We can, de- we can demonstrate these games. But in the meantime, so I highly encourage the listeners, um, keep an eye out for Jesse's schedule. This, uh, her, like I said, the, the keynote she did uh, last, it was still, no, it's still this year, um, in Orlando, uh, was just a blast. Uh, the workshops are a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, even just the game of, you know, air writing the numbers, I mean, that's something I'm probably going to go back to work uh, in January and give a shot just to kind of show people that, there's frustration when one person's leading and the other person has to follow, but the other person's being made uncomfortable and that kind of coercion is difficult. And I think you could mine that exercise uh, in a retrospective, especially, or in a debriefing for hours. It seems like the insights would just flow from that. Definitely. So, definitely. I'm excited to hear how it goes. I will. I'll definitely let you know. Um, but as for the listeners out there, um, Definitely check out the Improv Effect. We'll get Jesse's uh, Twitter handle out there. Um, all the other contact info. We'll let we'll give Jesse a moment after the show to uh, come up with some of the other keynotes that she's doing. I'm sure she's going to be heavily booked in 2018. We'll get all of that listed out too. And uh, cannot recommend uh, checking out what she's up to and her talks enough. So you know, make a just check that check that stuff out. It's always fun. The rooms are always laughing and having a good time. So I certainly enjoy them and I know others do too. So Jesse, thanks for all that you do. Those keynotes and the workshops are a blast. Thanks for doing the show. And uh, I can't wait till we do this again. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com.